Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actors Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but I'm only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students, and I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. I am super excited to introduce my guest. She's an award-winning actress. She has won an Emmy Award, a Golden Globe, an Ovi Award. She's starred in many TV shows like The Practice, Ghost Whisperer, Person of Interest, just to name a few. Some of her film credits are Cop Car, Return to Sender, Slipstream, An Unfinished Life, Without Men, Twisted, Scary Movie 3, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, Happiness, The Larry Meek Project, Dark Water, The Road to Wellville, Eraser, and a little film we did together called Fool's Gold. I want to welcome the super talented, inspirational Cameron Mannheim. Welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker podcast. Uh, thanks, Billy. I feel the same about you. It's so exciting to see you again after all this time, but we've kept in touch, but it's great to see your punum. You're even more handsome than you were 20 years ago. And you look beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. So, so I created this podcast, you know, to inspire young artists to follow their dreams. You know, if I can, if a kid like me from Brooklyn can come out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in his pocket, one way ticket, didn't know a soul out here and make that dream a reality. I've been blessed. I've been a working actor for 35 years. You know, if a young girl from Peoria can come out to Hollywood and, you know, win an Emmy Award and a Golden Globe and an Obie Award, you know, it's possible. So if this is in you, this is your dream, this is your passion, then go after it and go after it like you mean it. I agree with you 100%. There was never a doubt in my mind that I had to pursue this with everything I had. My parents are very practical. My father was a professor of mathematics. My mother was a school teacher. I always say, thank God I had a brother who was a lawyer so I could be an actor because coming <laughs> from a Jewish family, you've got to have one lawyer in the family. But they were incredibly supportive of the arts. And I think, but they, I think they were a little nervous that I wanted to pursue it as a dream. But it's nice when you have a family that is, you know, supportive emotionally about following your artistic vision. But my father made me promise I'd always have a backup plan just in case. So, and I think there are a lot of actors who don't like to have any kind of backup plan because it makes them feel that they're taking the focus on their true dream. But for me, it's kind of like an insurance policy, right? You take out an insurance policy hoping you'll never use it. And that's exactly what happened to me. I had a lot of backup plans and eventually I didn't have to use it. And I am living my dream. I went for the brass ring and I finally got it. It didn't happen when I was young like you were. I was 35 when I really finally made a living in acting. But the truth is, it is about the journey for me and not so much about the accolades and the awards. 
And even, you know, the salary, I did a lot of things while I was struggling to be an actor because I loved it. I purely was driven and born to do it. And that's why I followed it. I sometimes think if you're doing it for other reasons, for fame and fortune, then you have to take another look at it. But if you're a true artist born to do it, know that in your heart and soul, you are here to serve the stories of people and provoke people to think and learn, then you need to follow this dream and have some backup plans along the way so you can feed your family and take care of your health and enjoy all the flowers along the path. Beautifully said. When did you know? I mean, when did you know? I mean, I knew when I was like, I don't know, I would say maybe around eight, nine, ten. I knew that I wanted to act, you know? When did you know that this was the path for you? You know, I think I knew around that time too. I didn't understand it. I would stand in front of the mirror and sing songs and do accents and act out things. And then I moved into, you know, the shower, holding the shampoo bottle, accepting awards, you know, and then I'd stand in front of the mirror and try to cry on cue. I didn't realize I was really going to pursue this as a lifelong career, but in my body. I knew it's what made me feel the fullest and most fulfilled. So I knew it early. I knew it early. I had no idea as a kid from the Midwest, how I was going to make it happen, but I knew early it was my dream. It was my love, my passion in life. So I did school plays. It starts there. So I love that. You know, I tell my actors all the time, you want to visualize it. You want to see it. You want to believe, you know, that you can achieve it. I mean, I know for me as a young actor, I remember I watched this TV show uh, with Lee Majors called The Fall Guy. You know, I, I grew up watching him on The Six Million Dollar Man. And here was a show about Hollywood and behind the scenes. And I'd watch, I'd sit on my couch and I watched this show and, you know, it was, it was all Hollywood. And I, 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 was, I would say, I can, I'm going to do that. I saw myself doing that. And then I get to Hollywood. And my very first audition was for a guest star on The Fall Guy. No kidding. Yeah. And I oh got that God. part. And, <laughs> and it's like I climbed into my television set. And there I was with Lee Majors and Heather Thomas. And so I truly believe that you yeah. in the shower, holding the shampoo bottle and accepting that award, you planted that seed. And, you know, the universe yeah. felt it and it and it came to fruition because you visualized it. You gave your acceptance speech. It's you know? true. So I love that. I feel like it was my version of a vision board. You know, I just, I would sit on my bed and give interviews to Johnny Carson and to <laughs> David Letterman. And I would, I would pretend they'd ask me questions and then I would talk about my life. And, you know, it was, I don't know, there was something, there was something about all that glamour that I really loved, but it seemed very far away, but I still played the role all the time. Then went to summer camp, did plays in school and really, as far back as I can remember, I was a theater kid. And it was uh, it was just, there was nothing that was going to stop me. In fact, I wrote my high school a thesis, and the title of it was The Confessions of a Would-Be Mathematician. So I'm kind of mathy. I love poker. I love math. My dad was a mathemat mathematician. And I love statistics. I love it all. I'm actually the secretary treasurer of our great union, SAG-AFTRA. Thank you for your service. Thank you. You're welcome. And I probably would have gone into something very theoretical like that, mathematical, 
but I had to be an actor. So I, if I only wanted to be an actor, I probably would have been a mathematician, but I had to be an actor. So I had to pursue it. There was no, there was no other alternative, to be honest. You know, you said vision board and I, I, every year with my actors, I, we sit around like, you know, January 1st and, and I make them cut out those magazines and I make them create a vision board because you want to see it. You want to have it there on a daily basis. See, you want an Oscar, have a picture of you cut out somebody's head, put your head in there and have that Oscar there and see it and visualize it and feel it. You know, all that stuff that you want to attract into your life. I'm a big believer in vision boards and really everything I've ever wanted. I mean, the studio you're looking that I'm in right now, I envisioned this in my head years before it came to fruition, and it's exactly the way I envisioned it. Yeah. Well, we have a lot more power than we think. Like we, you know, jinx, we have a lot more power than we think about steering our life in the direction we want it to. And I think those are big lessons to learn on our journey. You know, I teach. I teach all over the world, actually, about two young actors, not about acting per se. You are an acting teacher, but I teach about the pursuit of happiness while wanting to be an actor. And I call it the in-between. You know, it's easy to be happy when you have a job, but, and then, you know, three months later, maybe you get another job and then maybe it's four months until another job, but really who are you in between? And that's really my biggest concern about people having a really good foundation, an anchor to the universe, so that when they're in between these things that make you happy, who are you then? Because to be honest, if acting is the only thing that makes you happy, you're not going to be happy most of the time. So you've really got to figure out who you are in between. And that's a life well lived. And a life well lived only makes you a better actor, makes you get those jobs closer together. And that's one of the things that I really focus on with my students is how do you save your soul in this business? Because it can be really painful. It's a gypsy life. It's very painful. You put all your eggs in a basket. You want something so badly and you give the power to someone else to reject you or to choose you. And that's a lot of power to give away. So how do you maintain a sense of self and power in the in-between? And that's what I like to focus on with my students because that's where all your power lies. And I'm all about focusing on what you have control over and not focusing so much on what you don't have control over. So that has been my greatest lesson in this journey is how do I enjoy my life in between all the joys of acting? Love that. That's awesome. That's awesome advice because, you know, it is a roller coaster ride. You know, it is, it is feast or famine. It is, you can't be waiting by the phone for it to ring, hoping that you're going to get an audition. You know, you got to live your life. And if the phone rings, great. And that audition, you know, I tell my actors all the time, it's, it's not about going in there and getting the part. It's about, you know, really having the fun of creating a character. The audition is an opportunity for you to create a character, like Halloween, you know, when you put the wardrobe on and the, you know, the, the mask and you step into the shoes and it's playtime. So, you know, don't go into that room trying to get something. Oh, I need this desperate. Oh, please. You know, what if you took the power back and said, I'm not here to try to get anything. I'm here just to give something. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to shine this God-given talent, this light all over this room. I'm going to leave a piece of my soul in that room. And I'm going to walk out of there confident because I did my job already. I had fun. And if, if it's my, the role's meant to be, it's going to be, but you know what? 
you made a fan. I guarantee you those casting directors, even if you're not right for the role, they're going to love that you went there and played full out. You know, there's a different vibration of an actor that's coming in in desperation. Well, you know, I got, I need this job. I was just coming in to have some fun and, and play. I mean, how many parts have you gotten through the years that were really from an audition you had done prior and they remembered you and kept you in the Rolodex and called you back and said, I knew you'd be perfect for this job. I think about that a lot. So, you know, and that brings me to being really prepared when you go into an audition and not taking them for granted. And honestly, maybe not going in if you think, if you don't like it, you don't love it, or you don't even think you can do a great job with it. There's every now and then I come across an an audition and I'm like, I just don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't feel it. And sometimes I pass on it because I know that every time I get in front of a casting director, it is an opportunity for me to shine. And if I feel like I'm not going to shine and I don't feel it myself, not every single role and part, you know, suits me. And so I have learned the power of no is also extremely powerful. When someone says, hey, they would like you to come in on this. And I'd be like, you know what? I don't get it. I don't love this writing. I don't see it. It's not, doesn't feel organic to me. And I can't shine in this. I could do a good job because I'm a good actor and I could make it work, but I'd rather pass and wait to shine another time. So those things are really powerful. And that's also about owning your own power and your own life in between. But, you know, for me, it's about serving your organic and genuine self too. You know, I, a lot of my jobs came from the fact that I just was 100% me and I was ballsy and bold and I didn't try to caretake the people who were in the audition. And I just did my own thing and took control of it. It took a long time for me. You know, I remember when I first went into my first audition and in my living room, I was fantastic. I was up on my feet and I was screaming and I really, I knew what I was supposed to do. And then I get there and the reader is sitting in a chair and, and I am kind of dumbfounded because it's not how I wanted it. And I just did the audition and I couldn't have been good because the environment didn't suit what I was ready to do. And then three or four years later, I'd, I'd ask the people behind the table, do you mind if the reader stands up? I just want to be on the feet, on their feet. And they'd be like, of course, go ahead. And of course, as I'm going back to start the scene, I think to myself, oh my God, they hate me. I just asked if the reader could stand up. You know, you're always constantly beating yourself up. And then the reader would stand up and the audition would be so much better because I tried to make the environment work for me. And then years later, I would just walk in and say to the reader, do you mind standing? And I just took control of the room. And all of a sudden, I felt like, wow, this is my gift to you. I'm making this all work in my favor. And all of a sudden, auditions weren't so painful anymore because I brought my needs in as well to give them my very best. And everyone felt like that girl's confident. That makes us feel, that makes us feel safe that she's going to be on our team and hit the ball out of the park. And that's a big part of it, too. I was a reader for many years, Billy. I saw hundreds and hundreds of actors come in. And one of the things I noticed that was a real turn on for casting directors and producers and directors was confidence. And then you think to yourself, I want that. How do I get so confident? And, you know, it's not something you can, you can just pretend to have. You got to organically have it. But how do you get it? It's the pursuit of confidence that's really fascinating. And sometimes you just have to pretend like you have it. 
and you'll reap some of the benefits. And as you reap the benefits, you start to like, wait a minute, I actually have this. But confidence is very important. When you do a movie, a TV show, a play, it doesn't matter. It's like you guys are in a, you're like in a, you're in, you're in a war together, right? You know, you're trying to make this work and you want all the soldiers in the war to be prepared and ready. And you know, they've got your back. They're not going to miss cues. They're not going to screw it up. They're not going to switch shit up on you. You want people to have your back. And that's what you want to walk in with. And that's where you have to, I think you have to focus on what makes you truly confident. And if that means you got to read books to little kids and serve hot meals to people and give service back to this world so you know that you matter and you feel confident from that, that's what you got to do. But confidence is, I think the person with the most confidence wins. And I think that's a really important thing to learn as an actor is to be confident. I love that. I love that. Yeah. You know, own the room. This is my five minutes. You know, I'm not going to sit in that chair, take that chair, move it over, take over the room, you know, engage those casting directors. You know, if there's an interrogation scene, I'll take the director. He'll be one of the detectives. I'll take another one, you know, and bring everybody into it, you know, make them feel, make them feel. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me is how do you make them feel whatever the given circumstances in the scene, go in there and make them feel that. If you can make them feel that, if you can make them laugh, make them cry, leave a piece of your soul in a room and walk out confident, you've done your job. So I love that. You know, and just starting with when you, before you even get into the room, how many of us have sat in a room and looked at every actor sitting there waiting to go in and explaining why they're getting the part over you? Like your brain does this really shitty thing like, oh my God, Margot Martindale's going to get this job. Why would, why would I get this job? She's going to get it. She's better. You start doing that with all the people in the room until one day you walk in and you sit down in a waiting room and you look at everyone and you feel they must be pretty freaked out that I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) And when you start to feel that, like I can see they're nervous. I'm here. That's when you walk in with your guns out and ready to, you know, shake up the room. (laughs) I love that. You know, I remember walking in to the auditions and, and, you know, it's the same group of actors that you, you know, you go up against all the time and I, you know, I know them all. I'm the one who booked that film or that TV show or that guest star, you know? So when I showed up, I walked into the room and I walked in in character. I didn't leave anything to the imaginary. I'm reading for a Marine. I shaved my head. I got dog tags. I, you know, I did 150 pushups in the parking lot. I'm coming in like a military guy. And I, I would see the actors, they'd see me walk into the room and their heads would go like the, I know. That's the greatest were, feeling. Yeah, and I wouldn't have to say a, a word. Oh, I know. I've been in those rooms where the people go, oh, shit, why am I here? And I'll be like, you know, you never know. But you go all out, Billy, all out. You own the lobby. You know, I tell my actors all the time, own that lobby. And how do you own it? You own it through your preparation, through your choices, through, through your backstory, to knowing that character better than everybody else, even more than the writer. Because the writer didn't give you a last name. You gave yourself a last name. You gave yourself where you grew up, what your childhood was like. You have all those choices. And you're bringing that. You're a product of environment and neighborhood. You're bringing that into the room. And you don't have to say a word. It's, it's there. It's, it's the work. And then you can really, truly play. I couldn't agree with you more. When you are prepared, when you have done the work and you feel confident in your work, I mean, I mean, I hope you feel good about what you're doing. If you think you're terrible, you know, that's, that's not a good place to start. I hope you think, like, I want to do this because I have the capacity 
to feel these things and to become another character. If you feel that way about yourself and you do the work, when you go in there, your imagination, your feelings, they get to fly because you're really flying on preparation. You're not just going by the seat of your pants. Every now and then you do a cold reading and it's awesome because you just were in the moment. But that's rare and far, you know, far, far between. You really want to do the work, get down to the nitty gritty, know that person. And in some ways, when you know so much about them and the director throws something at you, you have the capacity to pivot and uh, you know, sidestep and have so many more opportunities at your fingertips. So I agree with preparation. And I also agree with training and going to classes and getting training. And, you know, I have a master's degree. I did seven years of college. Sometimes I think that's a lot because it does make you, it makes you, you know, really take a magnifying glass to everything. And sometimes that can backfire a little bit, but exercising your instrument and taking classes and being in the company of people who love it like you love it. And the talk and the chatter, it's all very important to a life in this business. You know, I say, I tell my actors all the time, if you fail to prepare, you've prepared to fail. How do you prepare as an actor? How do you prepare for an audition? What is your process? You know, I feel like I prepare three times. When I read it, I just let it wash over me and I get a general feeling of the character and the story and how it made me feel when I read it. Then I do my work, you know, and I, I look at what they're really saying, what they want, what their objectives are, what their purpose is, why they're in that conversation. What are they, what are they there for? What do they want? And then I, I think much of my, my real preparation is when I start to memorize things and I start to see how they breathe and how they communicate and the words they choose and the combination of how I felt when I first read it, what I intellectually think the character wants and needs, and then how it fits in my body when I lift the words off the page and let them fly. And there are times when I get really stuck on making something feel honest and I, I can't make the words work. And I have to work really hard to make them all feel organic and true to me. And that is where my, I think my, all my toolkit comes into play. All the little instruments that I have to deal with language and, and cadence and tempos and breathing that really lets my, the power of my characters fly. So that's really kind of what it is. I just feel it. I look more deeply and then I put it in my body. And when I put it in my body, it is really clear to me when it feels incredibly real and truthful. Love that. So you said breathing, you know, and I think breathing has a lot to do with it. You know, I teach my actors here at the Manhattan Actors Studio how to meditate, how to ground themselves, you know, to truly play your instrument, you have to be relaxed. You know, I say, if you're in your head, you're dead. If you're in your heart, you're smart. If you can get out of your head and get into here and come from here and play and joy and love and peace, you come from here, that's a completely different vibration. And, you know, that vibration is like, you know, moths to a, a flame. They, they're attracted to that. They want to be around that, but they don't know why. And I think that's truly your star power is to come from your heart and love. You love acting. Guess what? You get to act right now. You have an audience. It's playtime. 
So come from that. I love the little mnemonic devices that you use that people can, you're in your head, you're dead. You're in your, you know, I just think that's really, it's so true, but you have to get in your head at some point to be super prepared so that you can then just lead from your heart and soul. So that's, that's my, that's, I guess how I do it. I feel it. I think about it. And then I feel it again with all of me as with a hundred percent of me. And I'm really, I know when I'm feeling it and when I'm not feeling it. And I work really hard to, to make sure it's connected all every story. And also it's not about the words. Of course the words matter and writers care about their words and you should say their words as they write them. But it's not about the words. It's it's about the story. It's what you're saying. And a lot of times people get tripped up on the words and the memorizing of words. But if you visualize the story and visualize what you're saying or say it three different ways so that the words don't even matter, then you are just telling the story and telling the truth of a character. In my best, my best of times, that's what I what I do. And I sometimes get in my own way, even. With awards and all the work I've done, I get in my own way by thinking too much and wondering what other people are thinking about me. But the best is when you just when you just abandon all of that and surrender to to your heart. Beautifully said. So, have you ever had to deal with like nerves? Yeah, I have to deal with I have to deal with nerves, but I can feel them, but I don't have to show them. You know, sometimes nerves are are exciting and sometimes they can really get in your way. They can get, you can not be able to have any, you know, moisture in your mouth. You can, your hands shake when you're holding things. You know, I think, like you said, meditating or, or remembering why you're there. I think there's a lot of, I used to think before I went into an audition that I had zero points and I had to go in and I had to get a hundred. And that's a, that is a high, a big mountain to climb when you have five minutes to climb a hundred steps. And then I started to think like, wait, that's not true. I would stand in front of a door before I walked in and I'd remind myself, you have a hundred points, Cameron. You already have a hundred points. You have a hundred and all you have to do is maintain them. So when you walk in, they want more than anything for you to be the one. And if you are prepared and you realize that they're really on your side and they're all, we're all in this together. Sometimes you have to really take apart who are those people, you know, before you go in, not while you're there, who are those people behind the table? What are they doing here? Why are they doing this? Why am I so nervous when I'm in front of them? I mean, they're just people with families who want to put food on their tables and you, you have to really think about what is the whole relationship there? They are desperate that you are the one. So come in and, and give your all and don't be in an adversarial position or in a where you're lower on some level than they are where you feel nervous. You don't feel nervous when you're talking to your children or when you're talking to a best friend because you are equals and you're, you're there together. But they can't give you something that you don't prove you have. They can't just because they like you or you're sweet or nice. I love that guy, Billy. I want to give him this part. It doesn't work that way. You got to come in with the goods, right? And they want you to be great. And you being nervous is sometimes can be an enemy and sometimes can be a friend. 
And you have to find how it serves you. It gives you excited. It makes you work hard. It gives you that extra adrenaline to make you think so quickly and and change course with a reader and take uh, different kinds of direction. But yes, I think in the beginning, nerves are really difficult to combat. And then as time goes on, I did a Broadway show a few years ago. Talk about nerves. Oh my God, every night, you know, it never changes. There's 2000 new people there and you want to please, you know, but Billy, it really goes back to my sense of who are you when you're not acting? Everyone just wants to matter in life. People want to matter. They want to make a difference. And when you go into a room, if you're desperate to get it, to hope that you matter at some point, that you can tell your family you booked a part, you can tell your friends you got a job, look, I matter, I booked it, then this is going to be the death of you. (laughs) You have to matter in spite of that. And how you deal with your life in between jobs makes you matter. Are you a good friend? Are you a good child? Are you a good parent? Are you a good community person? Do you give service? Are you, do you volunteer? When you feel like you matter and there's a reason why you're on the planet and that you make a difference to be here, you bring that into a room with you. And all of a sudden, those nerves aren't so big anymore because whether you get that job or not, you matter. You have a purpose in this world. And when you don't get that job, you're going to go back to that purpose of being a good steward in, you know, a good citizen of the world. So that's what I like to tell my students to focus on that. Yeah, it's easy to be happy when you're acting, but how, you know, and all of that serves your freedom when you're auditioning and when you're working is who you are below it all, you know, underneath it. And that's where, and those are things you have full control over. It's not just about acting all the time. It's not just about that. Life is about a lot more. And when that more comes with you, all of a sudden you are a much more interesting human. I believe that the the secret is, is being of service and giving, you know, really just giving. It's not about me. It's about we, it's about how can I be of service? How can I serve this project? How can I come into this room and, and shine my light all over this place? And I'm not worried about you people here. I, you're not even here. You know, I'm putting up my fourth wall. I'm grounding myself in a real place. I, I'm, I'm substitute. I'm talking to a real person fighting for a real need, you know, so I'm working out of that place where I don't even care about those people. They're not there. I mean, you know, it could get you could get nervous. Like when I tested for my TV series at, at Fox Network and there's, you know, 30 executives, you know, and you know they're all looking at you. Yeah, that could get, you could get nervous. I like to call it excitement. Yeah. Well, you know what it reminds me of is that I'll tell you one thing that is super unattractive in this business and everyone will understand when I say it. It's don't apologize, right? Like, When I was a reader and when I was a producer, actors would come in and the first thing they do is apologize. I just got uh, the sides last night. So if I'm not off, you know, forgive me. And I want to say to them, we know when you got the sides, we sent them to you. And by the way, could you just be the best of all the people who got the sides last night and don't apologize for it? Because as soon as you start apologizing, we start to lose faith in you. I'm so sorry about that. And I'm so sorry about this. And I'm so sorry. Can we start over? How about, do you mind if we just start over? Let's take it from the top. 
Yeah. Do you, I'm so sorry, but could I move this chair? How about just move it? You know what I mean? It's like there. And when you do that, people are like, oh my God, I love them. Oh my God. Did you see how they just, they, they screwed it up, but they didn't. It's kind of like when you're watching America's got talent and somebody screws it up and they start again and they go, that could have wasted you, but we loved you because that's real. And that's what we know that we can count on you, that you'll get right back up on your feet. So I'm just, I, I say that just because my friend was on American Idol and I went to see it and that somebody made a big mistake and I felt horrible for them. And they said, we love it when that happens. And look at your professionalism, how you just got right back up. And that's what I want to say to people. Stop apologizing for things. Come in like you deserve it. You can do it. You own it. It's yours. And that they should, even if you don't get it, when you walk away, they go, that person's really good. Let's, we're going to find something for them. But apology doesn't work for me really anywhere. It's so, it's so unbecoming and actors do it all the time. And I don't know why uh, my students do it. You can't see this because we're on a podcast, but a lot of times my students will raise their hand and they kind of half raise their hand with their head slightly bowed. And what I'm reading is I have a question. It's not very good. You don't have to call on me. It's probably stupid. And I say to that person, I want you to raise your hand like you have the most important question on the planet. And I want them to just shoot it up and be like, call on me. And it's so foreign to people to take their space and to say, I deserve this, that they're like, I'm sorry, I'm raising my hand so hard. I'm so, I'm, and they want to apologize for raising their hand high. And this is something I think... Uh, we need to take a closer look at is why are we always so apologetic for what we do, for what we love and for what we need? I have a question and there's so little and it's probably dumb. No, you have a question. You want it answered. And lucky for you, I have an answer for you, you know, and that it changes every, I tell all of your listeners from this day forward, when you have a question, if you just raise your hand high and say, I have a question and I'd love for you to tell me the answer, it will changes your life when you start to say, I deserve to be here, know this, have you teach me, uh, have you cast me, it makes a big difference. Love that. I tell my actors that all the time. Delete sorry from your acting vocabulary. What does sorry mean? You did something wrong. You know, if you forget a line, no big deal. I'd like to take it from the top. You know, I've worked with Academy Award winning actors that forgot their lines or said, I'm nervous. I, I remember when I was working with Forrest Whitaker and he stumbled on the line and then he said, I'm a little nervous. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, you got an Oscar and you're nervous? I said, that freed me up. I'm like, he's got an Oscar. Everybody, all actors forget their lines. Don't apologize. I'm going to take it from the top. That's what a professional actor says. Not sorry. Delete sorry from your acting vocabulary forever. You hurt somebody's feelings outside. You can say you're sorry, but in acting, no sorry is allowed. I agree. And I love the way you say it so simply. And for people that they can hold on to these little great pieces of advice. That's right. Delete sorry. It's useless unless you've really harmed someone. And then apologies are really important. I agree. You, you'd say everything so succinctly. I mean, I can imagine what an amazing teacher you are, Billy, because when teachers, you know, wax poetical too much, it's hard to kind of grab the little nuggets. But 
everything that you've said tonight are, they're small enough little mantras to remember. You know, for me, it's, I don't have to get a hundred points. I already have them. I have them walking in and little things like that really help me remind myself. And sometimes I just stand in front of a door before I walk in and go, be a grown up. Just be a, a grown up. Don't act like you're a little kid who's already in trouble and not good at this. Be a mature person and walk in and do your work. And sometimes if I just do that, I can uh, ask them, you know, have the nerves take a back seat to what's really important for the moment. Yeah, that's excitement. I, that's like batteries for an actor. You want that. If you focus that adrenaline, if you focus that energy, it's like, uh, you know, Michael Jordan with three seconds on the clock, the adrenaline, the clock's going, you swish. It's being able to be in the zone. And, you know, that's when the magic happens, when you drop in the magical zone. And I believe that adrenaline, if it's used properly, it's a really good thing. That that excitement, some people call it nervous. I call it excitement. Embrace that. That's a good thing. And often, do you ever notice, and this happens to me, and I don't know if it happens to you. Sounds like you get really excited all the time. I, I do. sometimes get tired before an audition. Like I, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I have to go do this. And then I get there and then I do it. And when I leave, I'm literally high on life. Yes. It's, it's the best drug you could ever get. I don't know why I get so tired before I go, but I think it's just because it's the world. I have focused, you know, and I'm carrying the character with me and I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm in a zone. And then as I get there, from the waiting room into the room and then leaving, I feel like I could build a house. I have so much energy. <laughs> Love that. I tell my actors all the time, that's a really good place to be. And you don't want to go, okay, well, I'm tired. Let me drink some caffeine or put something in your instrument that's going to get you jacked up. So when the adrenaline does kick in, it takes you red line. And you're, uh, so you want to be in that place, in that grounded, relaxed place. And then when, Adrenaline kicks in, you get to that perfect little place. So, you know, I always tell actors, don't drink any coffee. Don't drink, don't take any kind of medication that's going to get you, you know, jittery. You know, I mean, I've, I've learned this from personal experience, you know, like the times I've drank like coffee before going in or, you know, I was on cold medicine and, and you know, I was like, what's up with my, why am I feeling this way? And it's because, you know, the adrenaline and the, the caffeine kicked in and, you know, it started going in the wrong direction. Yeah. For sure. Everything that I teach is from personal experience. Don't make the mistakes that I made. I've been there. I've done it. Learn from my mistakes. Yeah. And sometimes you have to make your own. So then you just are like, fuck that. I am not doing that anymore. You know, I am not apologizing for myself one more time. We all do it. And you know how somebody bumps into you and you say you're sorry. I mean, what is it about us? It's such a really interesting thing that uh, someone bumps in and you're like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, I don't get it. That was a big uh, lesson for me was to take over the room, to come to do my work and to realize that I love other things in life. And I am more than just that. And that informs me, you know, I'm into politics and I'm into service and I'm into all kinds of things. And all of that information informs how I can uh, tinker with characters and make them as honest and honorable as possible and truthful. So you got to live life and you have to 
you have to love the journey and not just the result. Yeah, it's great to have some awards and it's, you know, it's great to reap the benefits of all of that for sure. But that's not who I am. I mean, I have a son, a 20 year old, and I have a friends and a family and a mother, and I'm just living my life. I work hard doing other things. And I, as much as I love acting, I love other things too now. Now I focused on acting for several decades because I thought like, that's gotta be my one and only thing. And then I realized like, you know what? It's not my one and only thing. There's other things I love too, you know? And, and that was an amazing realization for me. I mean, there's nothing I could have done as a, as a Well, that's not true. You know, I'm a sign language interpreter and I did that for years as one of my plan B's and a teacher and there's things I love, but there's nothing quite as fulfilling as doing this thing you were born to do and exists in every cell of your body. Yeah. Can we talk about Milo? How, how was your son? You mean my teen heartthrob? Your teen heartthrob. It's amazing. <laughs> that is friggin' amazing. I mean, how how is it having a son that's a teen heartthrob that, you know, he's, I mean, he's blown up. He's huge. Yeah, was, I looked at He's got a 1.6 million followers on Instagram. I was like, I know. Wow. I'm like, Milo, can you post about my little charity event? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been beautiful because he... He, you know, he's been doing theater since he's six years old. So he, he loves it in every bone of his body. He's done 30 musicals in his short life. He actually was discovered doing a high school musical. He was just doing the musical Rent. And, you know, because we're in Hollywood, which is ridiculous, the casting directors come to some of the school plays because they're looking for young people. I, apparently, this casting director had come several years before. And she told me later that he was kind of a little running gag in their office. She's like, I saw this kid. He was so great. I love him. We have to find something for him. And for several years, they'd be like, we need some, a 70 year old, you know, Asian American. They're like, do you think Milo Manheim could do it? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently he was like on their mind for several years because they, she just loved him. She found him through my agents and said, I have something for this kid. I would like him to audition. And I remember thinking he was only 15 at the time, like, oh, that's so sweet. You know, they're never giving him a lead role in a Disney, you know, movie. But what an interesting experience for him to go on. I remember going, do you want to try this? And he's like, sure. And it never occurred to me in a million years that they would cast an unknown. And Milo had never been on film or television really before. And he grew up on set. So he knew, he knew kind of the environment and the universe of it. But he'd never really been on, he'd been on in plays. He did 11 callbacks over three and a half months. Talk about, you know, dreaming of something and just never knowing what way it's going to go. When they finally offered them part, I remember saying to her, I'm so surprised you cast an unknown in this role. And she goes, we are in the business of casting unknowns at Disney. And we love, and she goes, I remember seeing him in Rent. I remember looking at the audience and 90% of them were girls. And then I remember wanting to wait afterwards to say he did a good job. And I saw a line of a hundred girls waiting for him. And she goes, I knew at that moment, like people responded to this kid and I kept him in my Rolodex all those years. And I just thought that was amazing reconnaissance work on this casting. Amber Horn, by the way, casting director who has become Milo's, you know, guardian angel. She's amazing. And she 
pushed for him and got, and he got cast in this Disney movie. And now he just finished the third one in the series. He was been in Toronto all summer. And that's called? Zombies on Disney Channel. And it's been uh, an incredible experience. He loves every second of it. And then, of course, you know, he did Dancing with the Stars, which was a huge, a huge, incredible event. Uh, he was in high school at the time. And I said, you can do it, but you have to stay in high school. So he went to high school every day and then rehearsed for six hours, then did homework, went back to high school, rehearsed. And then he took Mondays off every week to perform in front of, you know, 13, 14 million people. It was pretty crazy. And he is, uh, he is a, an amazing ambassador for Disney. He's so great with kids. He's such a good guy. He is also a political and very aware of what's going on in the world and tries to do amazing things. And I'm just really proud of him. We're so proud of him. He's That's a good amazing. boy. Good boy. Listen, I, I I know a little bit about being a teen heartthrob. You know, when I when I came out, I was you know hunk of the month. You know, team beat and all those things. You know, so it it got a little crazy. Like you couldn't walk out the door and girls and pulling at you. And, and for me, it was very uncomfortable. I didn't like it. You know, like not being able to go anywhere. I mean, how is it for him dealing with that kind of fame? I'm sure if he walks outside, you know, he gets mobbed. I wouldn't say mobbed. He's hard to miss because he's almost six foot four. So he's a little hard to miss. And young girls do get a, go a little. It's like seeing a beetle. Yeah. I'm like that's, yeah. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I know. But he's so gracious and he's he's smart. He moves in, you know, he doesn't go out to the young Hollywood places and he has his core group of friends and you know, he's got a dog and he, I don't know, he just is, he's pretty under the radar and he uses the social media for really good stuff, I think. And so he respects it. He respects the position he's in. And I think that he is, he, to be honest, I think he, he grew up with me and I have always been uh, extremely respectful of my fans. I mean, I wasn't a heartthrob or anything, but I had really interesting people who loved the practice, the lawyers, and and I was always so grateful to them and even really kind with the press. I've always like, thank you so much for being here to shine a light on my movie. I never treated like them like they were this horrible, you know, fly I needed to swat away. And I think Milo growing up in watching that he really puts it in the right place. He loves people. He's a hugger. He's like, come over here and give me a little, give me a, you know, he's, he loves his fans. He loves his friends. He loves his family. He's just, he's extremely personable and he handles it really well. He's seen it a lot through the years. And I think he handles it really beautifully, admirably. And anyone who walks away from him is like, that's a great kid. Yeah. Well, you raised him right. I just, he knows it's a privilege to do this. He knows it's all of this is a privilege and he's extremely, he's worked hard for it. He's good at it and he respects it and he doesn't take it for granted. And I think that, that he's, uh, I don't know. He walked in eyes wide open. It wasn't like a big shocker to him. And he's always been a little bit of a heartthrob. He's always had all the, for 30 plays, he was always, you know, the, and so he already kind of knew how to move and shake with it, but mostly he's just a great kid. 
I love that. You know, it's those 30 plays. It's the work that he put in that that casting director saw him in Rent and said, oh, I love this kid and kept an eye on it. He made a fan with that casting director and that casting director, you know, is the one that brought him in and tracked him down and said, this is the kid. That's what you do. You got to put the work in. You got to put yourself out there and people will recognize your talent and the work that you're putting out there. And, you know, if you're lucky, somebody's going to recognize you, you know, and go, wow, this guy's really talented. Let's get let's try to find a show for him. And and it's that's it's amazing that he did that. It is a serious like Hollywood success story that he's like discovered in a high school play. And part of me is like, oh, I wanted him to do the work like I did, you know, but it's really funny. Uh, this is I mean don't think I'm a bad parent or anything, but sometimes like when he would, uh, he would audition for a school play, you know, it's always just a given that Milo was going to probably get the lead and he wouldn't do as much work as I wanted him to do. And I would secretly hope he didn't get the part. Like, how was he going to learn if he just keeps getting these lead roles? He can sing, he can dance. You know, he's 11. How many kids can sing and dance at a school? He's going to get a good role. But he would like, I read it once or twice. And I go, you want to read it with me? Do you want to, did you read the whole play? I was like, mom, I got it. I got it. And I was, I would, I would literally secretly hope, God damn it. I hope he doesn't get this role because <laughs> I didn't want him to, you know, that's him. And then, you know, I joke about it and I say, you know, and then sometimes when he was on the soccer field, I would secretly hope they'd lose the tournament because I didn't want to have to go to Riverside. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm like, I root against my son. What is wrong with me? <laughs> but he would get those roles. And then he always did the work and he always shined, you know, and even now, sometimes he doesn't do as much work for an audition as I want him to do. And I think he's now feeling it like I got to really put in the work. And so he's learning as he goes. He's not, you know, 100% there. It's a big journey to learn how to do this properly and to put all the work in. And it's hard to put that much work into every audition when, you know, you then feel slightly defeated when you don't get it. I get that. You know, that's human to put so much work in and want it and to think to yourself, like, what if I got this and how it would change my life? And I think that's probably not a good thing to do is to get ahead of yourself and think like, oh, what happens if I book this? Because then it really just becomes so devastating. You know, you got to love the journey as we talked about earlier. All about the journey. So I just had a curiosity, you know, you like blew up. I mean, we did the movie, what, in 1998 or something like that? We did Fool's Goal, something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then you just blew up like ba-boom, you know. I was so proud of you watching you get your Emmy Award and give your speech. And, you know, I mean, just it was like, wow, how friggin' awesome. And, you know, you were on the cover of every friggin' magazine, women's, you know, every magazine. There was Cameron Mannheim. You know, you wrote a book, a best-selling book. You know, how did you deal with the fame? Yeah. You know, I'm an artist first and I am a trained artist. Like I told you, I have a master's degree in acting. And then I did theater in New York for 15 years. I wrote my own one woman show, which is how I got discovered for the practice. And when I did the practice, I laid really low. I didn't have a publicist. I didn't do any of that fancy stuff. I just did my work because I love it. That's what I am here to do. And then all of a sudden I won an Emmy award, which was, a, it was in a magical, mystical, incredible moment. And then people were knocking on my door. Do you want to write a book? And I'm like, yeah, I want to write a book. I want to write a book about, 
you know, growing up fat in this fucking industry and trying to figure out my way to do something that heretofore was never allowed to have a, a woman who was sexy and articulate and smart, who was also a curvy girl, you know, take over a room. And I wanted to write that book and I enjoyed all of that came with it. It was exhausting. And I just, you know, I, I put it in its proper place. I didn't let it define me as some kind of superstar or put me in a weird expectation of other things. I thought it was fun and delightful and wonderful. Uh, I always, you know, I always remind myself, you know, like making a movie is not curing cancer. There's still other really important things that matter to me. And so I found a way to enjoy it and not hate it. I saw too many actors hate it. It's so crazy. I talk about this in my book where, you know, everybody gets this idea like actors hate all of the limelight and hate all of the attention, but they pay somebody to get that attention. They pay a publicist to get it for them. It's a really interesting thing. I decided that I'm going to love, I'm going to love the whole thing and I'm going to love what I do and love all of this wonderful light that's shining on me. And I enjoyed every minute of it. I went to some wonderful parties and met. I remember being at a party talking to Meryl Streep. I, I kid you not, I'm at a party talking to Meryl Streep. And as I'm talking to her, my eyes are wandering. And I finally said, I'm sorry, Meryl. I cannot focus on a word you're saying. Mick Jagger is standing right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> she literally was like, which way? To my left or to my right? And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I just started to realize like, it, that's all just fun and games. And my family, my life, the things that matter to me are the anchor of who I am. My acting is the passion of who I am. And then all of the other stuff is just sugar on top. And I handled it. I think very gracefully and not, and I didn't hate it. I mean, it's exhausting and expensive going to these fancy things and having people dress you and puff you up and make you pretty and stuff like that was sometimes frustrating and anxiety producing, but mostly I loved it. I write about that in my book too, how exciting it was. And I remember this. I remember when I got nominated for an Emmy and I went to the Emmys with my friend, Michael Mayer, who I had done eight plays with in New York prior. My parents were with me and we arrived, we got to the Emmys and the driver opened the door and he said, Miss Mannheim, you've arrived. <laughs> I remember that. And I'm like, Oh my God, I have arrived, <laughs> but I am still the kid from Peoria, Illinois, the little kid who dreams with a shampoo bottle in my hand. I will never I still marvel when I go under the arches at Paramount or Universal. I am not jaded. I love it. I can't believe I get to do what I always dreamed of doing. And I'd never take it for granted. I love it. So inspirational. I loved your, I loved your speech. You know, what did you say? First, I think, I, you know, I had taken my autograph book to every award show that year. So I had, I was like, I have my autograph book. I hope everybody will sign it. And then I just lifted my Emmy above my head in a perfect line and said, this is for all the fat girls. That was amazing. On the back of my book, you can see it right there. Okay. Awesome. What's the, what's the title of your book? My book is wake up. I'm fat. And it really is about growing up a big girl in this country and how we are, we openly discriminate against our, you know, our plus size population and uh, trying to break into this industry and being, there was no place for me. Everyone kept saying, 
you remind me of a young Kathy Bates. And I'm like, wow, I am nothing like Kathy Bates. I'm a foot and a half taller. I'm not Southern. I'm not, but I'm a big girl. And that's why you equate me. And people will still get it wrong. Go, you are, you're time daily, right? Or it's always just a big girl they equate me with. And it's really, my book is really about kind of taking that apart and trying to figure out my relationship to that and why I allowed people to shame me for so long and how I took my power back. And it's a really interesting journey of making it through a world that prior to me, I don't know any positive female role model who was a large woman on a television show, like I said, that was articulate and smart and sexy and had a boyfriend and I don't remember anyone. So I want to give kudos where kudos belongs. I mean, David Kelly cast me and he wrote those scenes and that world for me. So it was pretty magical. And so I wrote the book and it takes me from being young to getting, you know, winning the award. It's really fun. It's a fun, it's a fun read. I can't wait to read it. You know, you really broke the glass ceiling for, you know, Curve Your Girls, you know, if, you know, it's as an inspiration, like if she can do it, I can do it. It doesn't matter. Own who you are. This is who you are. This is your gift. This is what you're bringing. Don't, don't be ashamed of yourself. Own who you are. And that is truly your gift. Don't, don't try to be somebody else. Be you. Even when you're coming in for these auditions and stuff like that, bring you. You're enough. You don't have to put shit on top of it. You know, bring you, your soul. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, Billy, I don't know if we have a time because I don't know what the time frame on this is, but you know, the way how I got the practice was, I think a, it's, a, it's an important story because I had done a one woman show in New York. My one woman show called this, Wake Up, I'm Fat. It was at the public theater and a fancy people came to see it and a casting director came to see it. He's like, how come I don't know who you are? And I'm like, probably because I'm a fat girl and you never see fat girls. And he's like, I have, I'm casting a TV show that I think you would be right for. And he went, he, my, my one woman show is in New York. So he went back to LA and he told his boss that he had met me. And then he asked me for my, a tape and which is what we used to call it. I don't know if you call it that anymore, (laughs) but I had a VHS tape with two scenes on it that I had done. And the reason why I had, I had gotten those two parts in law and order and New York Undercover is because I was a sign language interpreter and they needed a lawyer who knew sign language. So I got those two roles by one of my B plans to wrap it all up. So I did two, I had two little scenes in those two little shows and I showed it to that casting director who showed it to David Kelly. And David Kelly said to the casting director, she's not what I'm looking for. And he goes, well, your breakdown said you were looking for, you know, streetwise, sassy girl, gum smacking who, you know, is whip smart. And he was like, yeah, but when I look at those two scenes, she seems super conservative. Look at, she's wearing a suit and some pearls. And the casting director says to David Kelly, yeah, that's because wardrobe put her in those clothes. I just saw her one woman show. I'm telling you, she is streetwise and sassy. And he's like, all right, if she wants to, I'll, I'll meet her. And so the casting director calls me and he said, you know, David Kelly's willing to meet you. I'm like, oh my God, I've heard about this. They fly you out to LA. You get the cookies on the plane. I'm in, I'm in. I want to meet David Kelly. And he's like, well, it's not really like that. He's willing to meet you, but you'd have to get yourself out here. And I I remember thinking, are you kidding me? I have to, I make $350 a week at the public theater. I'm going to have to buy a flight and figure out my way to LA. And, and he's like, you know, these, 
they don't come around all that often. You should do it. And so I spoke to my family and I did it. I bought a ticket. I went out to meet David Kelly, knowing he didn't even like me. He didn't even like my tape. And so I get in the room. I'm with the casting director, David Kelly. And the ca- and David Kelly kind of asked me these benign questions like, so uh, you're, you're an actor? And I'm like, yes, I'm an actor. That's why I spent my life savings and flew across the country to meet you. Like, it was horrible. He clearly was not interested in me. And I could just tell it was going downhill really quickly. He's like, uh... Yeah, you know, he uh, Randy told me your show was really funny. And then Randy would go, tell him that part where this happened. And I'm like, well, Randy, since you said, told the punchline, maybe you want to tell him the story. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't win. I just could not win in this audition at all. And it was maybe three or four minutes. It wasn't long. And it was over. And I was like, wow, man, my first time in L.A., I put all of this into it. And it went like that. And I'm getting up to leave. And I saw that there was a cribbage board sitting next to David's couch. And I'm, a, I'm like I said before, I'm, I'm a gamer. I know games. I know card games. I know poker. Blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking to myself, my God, he's married to Michelle Pfeiffer. When does he play cribbage? I'm just thinking it to myself. And as I'm standing up to leave, I went, David, do you actually play cribbage? And I, maybe it seemed really judgmental when I said that. <laughs> and he stood, he kind of sat up for the first time in the entire interview. And he showed a little sign of life, which I hadn't seen yet. And he looked at me and he went, I do play cribbage, but I don't think you want to go there with me. And I thought, okay, I can just be like, okay, I get it. You're, you play cribbage. <laughs> nice to meet you. Or I could, or I could just be myself. And I said, Wow. I feel, David, like I could have this conversation with you. I could unsuccessfully impress you, like I'm obviously doing now. And I could beat the shit out of you at cribbage at the same time. And he looked me in the eye and he went, I don't think you understand. I play the computer. And I went, ooh, I don't think you understand. I play for money. And he was like, he was on the edge of his seat. And I go, come on, David, why don't we, I'll make, how about this? I'll make you a deal let's play. And I'll play you for the part. We'll just screw the rest of this audition. And I'll play you right now for the part. If I win, I walk out with the script. If I lose, you'll never see me again. And he went, you know what? You don't. And he, I could see him starting to get flustered. It was really so exciting to watch him be like thrown off balance. And he went, uh, you know, I skunked my mother last week and I went, okay. So I smell your fear. Why don't we just play? And he's like, I don't have time to play. I go, David, I could beat you in the time we've had this conversation. And he was so, he was on the edge of his seat. So was I. And he goes, here's the problem. If I were to lose, I couldn't make good on my deal because I haven't even written the script yet. So I'll make you this deal. If you leave my office right this minute, you'll be the first person to get the script when it's done. And I said, all right. You've got a deal. I shook his hand. I walked out. The casting director followed me and went, what just happened? I go, your boss thinks he could beat me at privilege and he's wrong. And he's like, I've never seen anything like that happen before. I'm like, I have been in 150 plays. I walk on stage. I say, really? Then what happened? And then I walk off stage. And you know what I do backstage? I play cribbage. So you tell your boss. I challenge him to a duel. And so I went back to New York. About three weeks later, 
I get a script delivered to my door. The first time in my life, a script delivered to my door. I used to have to go to my agent's office, go through a box and find a script. But this script was delivered to my door and I opened it up and the the description of the character had changed. It didn't like say big ballsy woman. No, it didn't say streetwise and sassy. It said this big ballsy woman walks in and takes over the room. My role. And from there, there's, you know, auditions and I did get flown back out and they did pay for it. And I did get a hot cookie and all of that. But it was because for that moment, I was just fearless and was myself. It's like I lost everything in that four minutes because it didn't work. It wasn't working. I could tell. And then something changed and I took retook control and said, no, this is my audition. This is my time with you. Now we're going to do it my way. Let's play for the part. Cut to, I turned 60 last March. And for my 60th birthday, my son and my mother, (laughs) it's crazy. I came into my office. I opened up my Zoom screen and there was David Kelly saying, I want a rematch. (laughs) I love that. Bravo, bravo. It's just more for your students to understand that be true to yourself, be who you truly are, trying to make people think you're nice and sweet and easy and go with the flow is kind of not interesting. Who are you uniquely? Why do people love spending time with you? Be, be that person, you know? You're who you are all the time, Billy. And I learned to let my freak flag fly. And it's hard to do early on in your career because you want to be you know, you want to be easy, but that's not what it's really about. It's about what makes you kind of special and wonderful. Love that advice. You know, you own the room, you stepped into your power and that's what you want to do. And, you know, I've heard, you know, I've done this podcast, you know, this is like my 36th podcast, whatever. And, and and I found a lot of stories like that from actors where, you know, uh, David Proval, you know, when he got The Sopranos, he had that moment in that casting, in that room. He just stepped up and in, into his power and really, truly owned the room. And then that's what you did. You stepped well, what into What do you that. have to lose? You know, what do you have to lose? You can go in and be just like everybody else. Go in and, you know, ask some silly questions or say, oh, I heard that you had a, a Shiatsu dog. So do I. And makes, you know, small talk or ask questions that you don't really need to know the answers to about a script. A lot of people, some acting teachers say, ask a question. And so people create a question to ask, not a question that they really have deeply, you know, that will change how they see something. Because people get a lot of different advice about auditions. I don't know. Listen, I don't even know where I was going. The only thing I retain anymore is water. So I just <laughs> immediately, but I just, I just think, yeah, you don't have anything to lose by being your bold, beautiful self. But just trying to please people, it will never be exciting. Safe, boring. Next, vulnerable, (laughs) truthful, exciting. Vulnerable is really it, where it's at, right? That's it, vulnerability. Vulnerability is your power, your strength. You know, if you could step into your vulnerability and just be, this is me, naked, here you go. This is my soul. If I had a camera when I was little, when I was in front of a mirror, I would put that camera on me and I would have just sat in front of it and felt, just been like, I want to feel something. And just, I would have been, I'd spend time just like being in my feelings, right? You know, feelings, 
you know, one of the crazy things that people are always asking me, like, how do you just cry on cue, which I've always, you know, I've been able to do. And I'm like, you know, it's because my body remembers what it's like to be sad. And if I, if I just drop into that for one moment, my whole muscle memory recalls it. And I really become sad. I'm not just pretending it's all in my body and happiness is in my body and compassion is in my body. And just being open to feeling it is really the work. Work is allowing you to bring that to the surface for, you know, others to feel, you know, and not just guarding it. You have it. Everyone has those feelings. And sometimes in acting school, you got to go back to some things that made you cry to remember, to remind your body what it feels like. But you want to be able to hold those things with you so you can call upon them and lend them to characters that you are embodying. I tell my actors everything, everything that's ever happened to you in your whole life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all that shit, that is your gold. That is what you want to mine. That's what you want to hand over and surrender and give it to the character and expose it through the character. So, you know, that, that, that stuff, that childhood, that pain, that stuff, that's truly your superpower. I agree. And I also like tell my actors, my students to watch performances that moved them and ask themselves, why did that move you? Why did it get you? Why? Because they were raw and gave you that gift, right? It wasn't behind a wall. It wasn't acting at it. You know, that's what you see a lot. People acting at being mad and people acting at being sad and people acting at being drunk, but that's not what it is. You know, being drunk is the opposite of acting drunk. It's trying not to be drunk because that's what, you know, it takes a minute before that nickel drops. When you start to understand how all of that works, you, that's why you learn technique and you, you practice it but it's all there and you have to unleash it. And that just takes a lot of practice so that, cause we're used to guarding all of those emotions. We don't want to show those. If we wore those emotions on our sleeves on a daily basis, we would be pummeled in this society. So you are right to have guarded it and protected it. And now you have to learn how to let it out in safe environments and to help propel the story forward. You know, you got to let it out. And that's what, really good acting teachers teach and uh, really astute acting students learn. Yeah. Make art out of it. Mm -hmm. Take all that good stuff, you know, and, and truly that's the paint to paint the canvas of the scene and leave it there behind, leave a piece of your soul behind and then they will feel you. You know, that's why, you know, you feel that, that performance because that actor is not acting. They're just bearing their soul. You know, that's their truth coming out. If you could go back to the little you and give some advice, acting advice, life advice, what, what would that be? Wow. I, you know, that's a really hard question. I mean, it would probably be life advice would be more about reminding myself that I am smart and I deserve and I should own my, you know, my wants and desires and feelings and uh, not to apologize and not to cower, not try to, I mean, try to please and obey rules, of course, but to be bold and move outside the box. And I don't know, to stick up for myself and to stick up for others and to 
not that I didn't, but I could have done it more. And just to, um, I don't know, just to learn what's really important in life and not to be sidetracked by shiny objects and to have friends that make you feel good and powerful and, you know, and lift you up. I feel like in my early life, I had some shitty friends and I think maybe friends don't know how to be good friends when you're young. So as a young person, I'd be like, pick your peers wisely. And I don't know, I I don't have poetic words for that. It's really hard growing up and it's really hard growing up now, but for young actors, my biggest advice is service to others so that you feel and know how important you are in the world. And that comes and follows you everywhere you go. I really just makes me sad when I see actors put so much into one audition and then be so defeated and then are kind of paralyzed for a while because it hurts so bad. And I just, I want them to love all the moments in between. And I don't know how to teach actors how to act, to be honest, that's your job. But I can teach humans how to make all the moments, you know, count and to be a part of the collective goodness and be a good citizen. And for me, that's when everything unlocked. When I started doing, when I was a sign language interpreter, And I literally ran around New York showing up at hospitals and AA meetings. And I just was there to get information across. It wasn't there for me. You're not even supposed to have a voice. You just sign and let other people have experiences. I'm like, oh my God, it's so important that I'm doing this. And I realized that then I was powerful and that I mattered. I was important. And then I brought that with me everywhere I went. And it changed everything from that moment on. That's beautiful. So that's it. I don't know. I don't have the little, you have so many good little tidbits. I'm going to come and take your class. Uh, They're really good. The little things you said really, uh, um, they stick with me because they, uh, I can, I I can grab onto them. I like that. I'd like to pass some of those on to my son. Maybe I'll, I'll have him come and take some of your classes, you know? Oh, I would love to work with him. So they're lucky to have you, Billy. And you're right. Everything you talk about, the passion, the vulnerability, the honesty. I mean, that's why we do it. If you're doing it for another reason, then that's a different conversation. It's a different story. If you're an influencer who's beautiful and you want to be an actor, cause that's the next step. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother path. Then we got to talk about something completely different. And for you, I would say, save your money right now because it's not going to last and put it into real estate. (laughs) But if you're really doing this for the right reason, that you're an artist through and through, then then this, this is the way to fill your soul with all of this stuff we're talking about. And I'm sure every actor you talk to has the same thing to say because it's just true. It's not some fly by night stuff that you and I are talking about. This is what makes people survive in this industry and makes you get jobs and thrive in the industry. They got to listen, got to listen and fold that advice into their hearts and souls. One last question. What advice would you give to parents of a young actor in this business? Because you have a very successful young actor in, in, in Hollywood. Yeah, that's a really good question too. I don't know if you ever watched the documentary, The Complex. It's very sad. 
it's really, really sad that not everything is sad. There are a couple young actors who came from other places in the United States who you could tell were like me and you at eight years old. They had to do this. And then there were other actors who come to Los Angeles to make it big because really their family wants them to or something. The documentary is very sad because parents aren't making great choices for their kids. So I would just say that when you sign, you know, for parents, this is a rough business for young kids, you know, and you can't lose sight of them and not have them be accountable to you. Um, a lot of times young kids become the breadwinners in a family and then the parents kind of let them do their own thing. I not a big fan of being homeschooled. I think it's really important to let kids go to school. And I know that there are a lot of kids who are homeschooled because they are driven to do this. But, you know, you lose some things when you're not in school. You lose socialization and you lose the cues. For parents, I would say, first of all, ask yourself, is it for the kid or is it for you? It's really, really important because I've seen both. And Remember, you know, you're signing a contract for six years and you don't know who your kid is and you have to make sure that you don't just say yes to everything and that you get lawyers and that you really make sure that you've protected your kids because this uh, business would like to just use them. And a lot of times newcomers will fall into that. But parents, if your kids are destined to do this, the best thing you can do is give them really serious guidelines about being kids, about having responsibilities, about being accountable, and then supporting this beautiful thing they want to do. If you had a kid who was an athlete or a kid who was a dancer or a kid who was an artist, of course you want to, you want to support it. But they're kids, they need your guidance, and they need you to make some of these really important decisions for them. And I think that I was ahead of the game because I'd already been in this business. So I was able to really protect Milo and Disney was awesome with him. But, you know, I think if I hadn't been in the business, other places would have just scooped him up and done whatever they wanted. So parents are responsible in this and they have to, they have to support their, their kids genius. And also remember that they're kids and they can't make all the decisions and you, and they have to educate themselves and they have to, um, you know, pay for lawyers and, you know, really protect their kids. But, you know, just be careful because kids can uh, fall into, can fall into the trap of, you know, people like them because they're shiny and not because of who they've become as people. So make your kids do chores and make your kids do service and make your kids be a good friend and make your kids be, or encourage them. So that's what I just treat them like any kid who's an athlete or an artist or a dancer and, Make them be, you know, make sure that they're still a part of the family unit and look after them in that, in that way. That's, that's what I offered Milo because I'd already been here and knew a lot about it. And I watched the complex, watch that show. You'll see. It's very interesting how parents get taken advantage of and, and children do. So I don't know if that's what you wanted to hear, but. No, that's the truth. And, and it's great advice. And I, I, listen, I have a screening process here with when I, I don't, I don't work with anybody. You have to pass the screening process. I have, an, I have to have a conversation with the child and really see that this is truly their passion and this is what they want to do. If it's a parent's dream and they're pushing their kid into this, 
maybe I, you know, it's not why I was, you know, I, I point them in a different direction, but you know, I only work with people that are truly passionate about it. this is my passion. This is my dream. This is what I want. And when I see it. And if they're coming to you, that is a really good, that's a good sign that they're coming to get really trained. They're not just cute. And everyone said, you should be an actor, but they're coming because they really want to be trained. And that's another thing for parents. Get your kids training. If they don't love that, they don't love the process, then then there's something rotten in Denmark. You know, really heed the signs because this is a big commitment for any young person. And parents need to be the spirit guide on this because a kid looks at uh, the Kardashians Instagram and says, I want that. Well, who wouldn't? It's very shiny and pretty and wonderful and sexy and all that stuff. And who wouldn't want that? You've got to make sure that that's not what they're looking for, because that's just going to be devastating. You want them to be watching movies, going to plays, loving the whole process of it. I always ask my students, you know, what what's the last play you saw? And sometimes that dumbfounds them. And I, I don't understand. For me, I know we're in LA, but there's still plays. And that's where some really great work is done as well. You should be well-rounded as a performer. Great advice. I, Cameron, you know, I I'm, I could stay on this Zoom, this podcast for hours. I'm not editing you. it, Billy. I'm not <laughs> editing nothing. This is, you dropped so much gold and wisdom. And I thank you truly from the bottom of my heart for sharing this time. I know you're very busy. I know I kind of had to pester you a little bit because you got a lot going on. And I was like, I want you on this podcast. So I, I, I was not going to take no for an answer. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I've been the secretary treasurer of the union during a pandemic. So that was really a crazy, interesting time working really hard to get unemployment for actors and get the industry back up and working. So I was very consumed. I've always wanted to do it. And then you pestered me again. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, let's do it right away. Well, thank you. Truly. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's so great to see you. I'd love to get together, maybe grab some lunch, see you in person. How old is your boy now? My son is 14 years old. And oh. The best role I've ever played in my life is the role of father. You're here. I know. Changes you something, something beautiful. I would love to see you, Billy. And, you know, to, I just want to say in this conversation, I can tell how lucky your students are for sure. Well, I'm the lucky one because I get to be the guide. I've truly found my my destiny is, you know, it's about, it's not about me. You know, before it was about me, 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 and my ego, the acting, you know, and, and now it's truly, a be, how can I be of service? How can I make a difference in somebody else's life? And every day some actor knocks on my door and they have this dream, this passion, and they don't know how to get started. They don't know what to do. And I guide them. And when I'm done with them, they're working actors. They're in the game. You know, I can't promise them fame, but I promise that, you know, they're going to be well-trained. They're going to know how to outwork, out-prep, out-choice, out-everything those other actors. The other actors can't even compete. My actors are booking jobs left and right because they're not, they're not playing that small game. They're playing a big game. They're coming in there and they're owning their power and they're shining their light and they're making big choices and they're having fun. And that is the key. Have fun. Because when you're having fun, the casting directors, everybody's having fun watching you. If you're trying to survive the audition and you're, you're in your head, you, you've shot yourself in the foot and that's not where you want to be. So it's about truly having fun. And I love being the guy. So I'm blessed. I'm the lucky one. 
You know, we call it mitzvah therapy. You know, a mitzvah is a good deed. We all know what therapy is, but it's like good deeds that feel good. You're like giving and you get while you're giving. It's beautiful. The, the greatest thing is when I get a text or an email or whatever from my actors going, I got an agent. I booked that job. I got this. I got that. I get more excited, you know, for them than when I used to book the job. It was like, yeah, this is more rewarding. That's fantastic. That's, uh, that's what you want from your teachers to be, you know, to teach you well, send you out, be a cheerleader and to um, delight in your success. Once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's so great to see you. You look beautiful. I can't wait to see you in person. And uh, we're going to talk soon. Absolutely. All right, Billy, I'm going to tell my son, sign up for one of your classes. I'll be back. I would love that. You could use a little dose of you for sure. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. Please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.